Hello again, I'm John Foley, and welcome to the Cloud Database Report podcast, where we discuss the exploding world of big data and the platforms and services that companies are using to manage terabytes, petabytes, and exabytes of data in the cloud. Each week, we discuss the latest developments in the cloud database market and talk to industry experts about the trends, challenges, and opportunities they see. Today's guest is Kieran Dines, Chief Product Officer with Matillion, technology company that specializes in data preparation for cloud data warehouses. Kieran is responsible for product strategy and understanding and incorporating customer requirements in Matillion's products, which include software tools for data integration and ETL. On this podcast, I talked to Kieran about data preparation for data warehousing, and importantly about how best practices are changing when data warehouses are in the cloud. We'll get to the conversation momentarily, but first a note from our sponsor, InterSystems. InterSystems is a creative data technology provider and the engine behind the world's most important applications, providing innovative data solutions for organizations with critical needs, such as those in healthcare, financial services, and logistics. The InterSystems IRIS data platform addresses interoperability, speed, and scalability empowering global organizations to build high-performance, machine-learning-enabled applications. Through smart data fabrics, InterSystems connects data across organizations and enables them to maximize their existing technology investments. InterSystems is committed to excellence through its award-winning 24 by 7 support for customers and partners in more than 80 countries. Learn more at intersystems.com. Our guest today is Kieran Dines, Chief Product Officer with Matillion, a technology company that specializes in data transformation for cloud data warehouses. Technologists have long talked about ETL, which stands for Extract, Transform, and Load, but Matillion is taking a somewhat different approach that is optimized for the cloud. So let's dive into this. Kieran, welcome to the podcast. John, nice to meet you again, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I've been covering uh, databases and data warehousing for more than 20 years. So let's start at the beginning. The three-step process that has always been part of data warehousing is ETL. In fact, I saw a headline, Kieran, uh, just the other day that said 50 years of ETL. So it, you know, it's been around for a long time. In simple terms, what is traditional ETL? And then we can talk about how it's changing. Yeah, great question, John. And it does date back to the 1970s. Um, so it's been a, a process been around for a very long time. There's a general umbrella of terms called data integration. And I think ETL is just one of those types of integration that we use. It is very synonymous and very related to data warehousing, which is very popular right now because, you know, who isn't doing analytics? Uh, and then you know, who isn't doing extreme analytics in the companies that we deal with? But very simply, it's the process of extracting data from source systems, could be sales data, marketing data, product data, and even IoT data these days, device information. And it's the, um, it's the journey that information goes upon to get into a data warehouse to do analytics. Um, sometimes the transformation takes place before it reaches the data warehouse, before it is loaded in. And sometimes the transformation takes place in the data warehouse. But put simply, 
it's the process of getting source data into a target system. And ETL is basically one of the most common practices dating back to the 1970s, kind of funny, uh, that we use for analytics, um, particularly in the context of data warehousing. Okay, so, so you touched on this, Kieran, but I, I wanna stick with it for a minute here. Uh, there's a new way of thinking about ETL, which is ELT, right? So the tran data transformation happens at the end of the process rather than the middle of the process. What's different here and why is this changing in the world of cloud? It's, it's kind of one of those ones, I think, like with great need, uh, there's like the mother of great invention. Um, if you were to go back to like the 1970s, I'm not sure I can go back that far, but if you think of the, the companies that are synonymous with data warehousing, IBM down through the years, you had Natiza, you had Teradata, these types of companies. Um, there was always a foreboding when you dealt with either the data warehouse admin or the database admin. Uh, these were feared human beings in most enterprise organizations. Why so? Well, because the, the data warehouse was a very precious uh, capability. It was running the most business critical, critical analytics uh, for an organization. And it's a very expensive, uh, very time-consuming thing to, uh, to configure and basically optimize. So by definition, it became the thing that only ran or could only run the most important analytics. Now, if you fast forward to the 2010, 2015, everybody would have heard of big data. And it came out of you know, people like Yahoo and Google and these companies. It's a very different thing. Like those companies needed ad hoc, ubiquitous, like volumes beyond belief over things that ordinarily don't seem that valuable, like search results on behalf of, you know, the world's population. But of course, Google made this a, a monumental, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar enterprise, but you couldn't have built that with the data warehouses of old. You couldn't have afforded the licenses for one, never mind make the software work that way. So you fast forward to where we are today and the combination of what we learned with big data and what we can do in the cloud, you end up with a new version or new type of data warehouse that is ubiquitous, a utility. It's highly, highly scalable. And you can now run processing inside these systems just like you could with big data, but with all the convenience that we learned from data warehouses. You know, the, the notion when you commit data, it actually is um, committed to the database and you know that basically it's guaranteed to be there. Uh, you could look at structure and you could look at, at ways of sharing information and having all these rules built in. All of those good things combined with the super scale that you get from big data is kind of where we're at right now. So when you think about that, what it makes sense to do is to start moving all of your uh, analytics processing into these new cloud data warehouses, these new cloud platforms. And that's the new paradigm shift that we're basically uh, on at the moment. It's not to do the processing outside the data warehouse, it's to optimize as much as you possibly can all of your analytics inside that data warehouse because it creates greater reuse, um, greater visibility, and, and actually greater security because it's actually in one location uh, and the results of that information can be greater controlled. And that's kind of where we're at today, 2021, is that kind of, this is the modern way, the modern stack that we think about when we think about the modern data warehouse. Yeah, and um, you talked about the processing the data in the data warehouse. Now, the transform part of it, the data transformation, um, and Kieran helped me out with this. I mean, in traditional data warehousing, uh, I think that that has happened in what you might call a staging environment. 
um, outside of the data warehouse. And then the, um, the data, once it's been transformed, is moved into the data warehouse. And the transformation includes things like deduplication, right? Clean, cleansing the data, um, you know, that kind of thing. And so with ELT, is that now happening in the cloud data warehouse itself? Yeah, so what we've moved to is this kind of general concept of, you know, bronze, silver, gold versions of the data. You know, previously we would have called them data marts. Nowadays, people use other language like, um, you know, the data lake, uh, the lake house. But ultimately, it is just staging of the data. And you can do that more effectively uh, inside the data warehouse for certain types of data. I still argue that there are you know, structured, um, semi-structured and binary different types of, you know, data types that we, we use all of the time. And it's predominantly the case that most of the analytics that we're dealing with is structured or semi-structured. The data warehouses are very, very optimized for that. So whether it's, um, you know, merging of data, data cleansing, the building of reports, it is absolutely better to do those things inside the data warehouse. Now, one of the things that the modern data warehouse does that the previous generation did not do is they have separated the compute and the storage. You know, so you can have this kind of masses of volumes of data in storage, and then you can choose to basically run certain amounts of compute. But the difference with compute today is that it truly is unlimitless, uh, or sorry, unlimited and is limitless. You can literally spin up an instance of a, a redshift or a snowflake um, or a synapse for literally pennies on the dollar on a daily basis. And you can begin to do ad hoc you know, analytics or you can do the most business critical analytics really up to you, but you're not limited by the technology. So given that, it makes much more sense to do all of that processing if you can inside the data warehouse. And that's certainly the approach that our customers basically have adopted. They're really looking to optimize their spend on analytics and the results of each of those analysis they actually can be combined together to produce new insights. And it's that kind of a, a flywheel effect that people are looking to basically achieve with their analytics. Uh, and that's why they basically are, are funding like never before more and more investment in these modern capabilities. Great. Okay. Now let's, uh, I want to make sure I understand where Matillion fits into this discussion. Is Matillion in the ETL camp, the ELT camp, or both? Great question. So I think if we go back to the ETL definition, it's extract, transform, and load, and you break them up into you know three different constituent parts, some of the processing needs to happen before you get to the data warehouse. The extract. Extract definitely happens outside the data warehouse. It's a separate process. And arguably, the load is the same. So in that context, Matillion is an ETL. So we will do extract, transform, and load for certain types of things, it makes sense uh, to kind of do a bit of pre-processing and then to load it into that ubiquitous storage that I talked about, that kind of S3 layer, blob storage and Azure, um, a range of different things you can do there. And then it's also doing the transformation inside the data warehouse, which is called ELT. It's when the T has moved um, into, into the, um, the data warehousing and you're leveraging Snowflake to do the processing. So it very much depends, but I would always argue that there is a certain amount of pre-processing that happens before the data gets into the data warehouse. Um, for example, you may be getting data from Salesforce. Now, if you've ever looked at an API or ever had the, 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 the looked at the XML, which is what these applications tend to produce, 
they're not necessarily well formed inside a database. Database is a table. It looks like Excel in some respects. So there is an argument sometimes that says, yes, extract the data in high fidelity, but actually store it inside the data warehouse in a format that's optimized for the data warehouse rather than basically slowing yourself down. Wouldn't it make sense to basically normalize it and put it in the form that it can be better reused? So that type of pre-processing makes a lot of sense. You haven't changed or lost any of the fidelity of the data. All you've basically done is you put it in a format that really makes sense for you know, multi-processing and high volume processing in a data warehouse. So we do both um, in terms of load and then in terms of pushing down the transformation inside the data warehouse. But there is a last mile of this picture that I think is sometimes uh, forgotten. We are now moving to a, a world whereby the data warehouse is creating these 360 views of a data asset. You would have heard 360 of customer and you know, 360 of patient and employee, these types of terms that we've used over the last number of years. Now inside Snowflake, um, you typically will see people creating a golden record of a customer. And that can be made up of multitudes of different source data, Salesforce data, marketing you know, systems from, from Pardo or from Marketo and whatever else information you got from the e-commerce website. When you have that golden record, you should most definitely use it for analytics. It's good to know like your cohort uh, analysis, who's your most important client, all that kind of stuff. But it also makes sense to take that same data and begin to synchronize it back out into your business. You know, you want your sales team to know, hey, if there's an alert, this customer is going to buy more, phone them. Or this, you know, a particular product on your e-commerce website, hey, you could change the pricing to optimize for this, uh, you know, maybe it's Black Thursday and you want to basically offload this particular product. Now, those things need to happen in real time. But the 360 view of that asset is actually in the data warehouse. So the last mile of the ETL story is what we call reverse ETL, or what's called in some people's terms, just the synchronization of the data that was in the data warehouse back into operational systems. And so that's the complete of the story. So I think when people think about ETL and ELT, actually a new form as well, that's kind of emerging. And some people use the term reverse ETL, which is the extraction of the data and sending it back to where it came from. Now, Kieran, you've uh, talked a lot about, um, you know, a data movement here and data transformation uh, and also making reference to many data sources, right? So a part of the process here is the source databases and the targets. So data integration is also um, an aspect of this ETL slash ELT um, architecture, right? Yep. Yep, okay. And, and you have tools for that and connectors. Most definitely, actually. And if you look at the, the trajectory in enterprises, you know, at Matillion, as you might expect, we connect to pretty much everything. And we also see in an anonymized way what people are connecting to. The average number of data sources today in an enterprise is 1,080. Now, that's a huge number. The average number of attributes that go into a marketing lead score algorithm is 13. It's up from six in the last two years. So what you can see is that the number of source systems are constantly rising. And the number of sources that we use to generate an insight is doubling, trebling, trebling quadrupling. 
actually, if you were to look at like a propensity to buy model in an e-commerce shopping cart, there are well over 20, 30 different attributes of the buyer and the history of the buyer to basically compute the next action that somebody's going to take on a website. So yes, one of the big things that Matillion does is connect everything. Why so? Because the journey of where analytics is going today is people want to get all that source data and they want to merge all that data together to kind of come up with that 360 view of a given data asset. And that's the game that we're in is can we connect? Can we basically combine? And then can we actually synchronize back out into the operational system so we can take an action in real time with a customer, in real time with a robot, it may be. There's lots of different things that we are doing, but ultimately it comes back to that. If we can get access to the data, then the magic can happen. And hopefully some genius can create an insight at a, a target customer that we work with. Now that, uh, that statistic you mentioned, um, more than a thousand sources uh, is really interesting. And I think it speaks to the nature of the challenge and also the opportunity. Um, we know that some of the sources are transactional databases. Uh, you made reference to Salesforce. So you have your SaaS applications. Um, are those like primary sources? Are there some other ones that, we, that you see a lot of? I mean, the ones you see all of right now, it's, it's amazing how much people are using Excel. It, it's still just one of the most dominant business applications. Now you might say the Excel data comes from somewhere else. But so many users are normalizing their data in Excel and looking to basically push that into uh, some of their target systems. So you see a lot of that. You see a lot of Google analytic data. So you can, uh, you know, as you can imagine, Google's doing amazing things in terms of, you know, your advertising spend online with your target customer. Pulling that information is a huge piece of it. I think the biggest trend that you see, though, is people are crying out for historical, you know, um, you know, data the trend, not just the, the initial load, but what's the delta? What's the change agent? What's the thing that's basically moving and dynamic? And that's quite complicated. Um, like for example, you look at supply chain, what's the number one thing that basically hits supply chain this year? Well, it was the Suez Canal issue, right? It's got nothing to do with weather. It's got nothing to do with lots of things, um, except that people basically had to you know, absorb that particular impact. There are so many dynamic things happening in just supply chain, never mind anything else, that organizations are kind of looking for these kind of alerts, these type of, you know, merging the different data sources such they can respond and react to the changing dynamics that they see. So lots of things going on. But again, if you were to ask me where, you know, data is moving, it's the combination of these different data sets, including these special alerts of, you know, a particular catastrophe or some world event has happened. What's the response that our organization needs to basically make now to preempt basically that having a major impact on our, on our group. So all of those things are basically fair game when it comes to source systems these days. Kieran, uh, the, the, the nature of this conversation, the, 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 uh, the things we're talking about here are meaningful and important uh, to many different types of people in business, you know, including the CXOs, right? Uh, CIO, CTO, uh, CFO, uh, chief data officers. Um, but who are the people with their hands on the process here who need to make ETL and ELT happen? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the CXs, um, that cohort all have their special number that they're all trying to track to. 
And the organization that basically manages all that are the, the data engineering teams, uh, the data analytics teams. So in general terms, you'll have a, a person called an ETL developer or a data engineer. They're not quite the same, although some organizations may use the term uh, interchangeably. Generally, you think about an ETL developer, somebody thinks about the data model um, is usually using uh, and building analytics in a data warehouse. Data engineer is a little bit more a general kind of term. They could be using Python. They may be doing hand coding. They actually may be using big data technologies. They may be using Databricks or Spark or a couple of other things. But in general, there's a, a group called a data analytics team, data engineering team. And it's their job to basically not only deliver those insights, those special numbers, but also automate the delivery of those. It's, you know, one of the criticisms people have had about ETL over the last 50 years, as we mentioned at the beginning, is the brittle nature of the process. And there's a multitude of reasons of why things are brittle. But you could argue that cloud companies have a similar issue with brittleness that they try to resolve with how they deliver applications. There's a whole whole uh, area that we call you know, DevOps and CICD, all these kind of terminology that we used in application delivery on SaaS. A lot of those principles are now coming into the data landscape. Why so? It's because we're trying to resolve the brittleness of ETL that basically has been there in the last generation of technology. I would argue a lot of it has been solved with the new technology and the blending of some of these ideas that we see that are so commonplace in SaaS and application delivery and bringing those into data pipeline delivery. I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, the different uh, database environments where Matillion works. Uh, I, I believe Matillion works in Amazon Redshift, uh, you know, Google BigQuery, Microsoft Synapse, Databricks, and you have hundreds of customers that uh, are working um, in Snowflake's data cloud. So uh, let's let's just kind of like focus in on one of these. Maybe uh, could you talk a little bit about the nature of ETL and ELT in the Snowflake environment? Yeah, Snowflake I think really just changed the game a couple of years ago. I think they're basically the you know they're the leader at this time in terms of innovation and innovation around data warehousing. Actually, they themselves would refer to themselves as a data platform. I think it's very interesting that the question here because the data cloud is this thing that basically they have a vision around where really if you're going to make um, a data driven business, you want every single user in your organization to be able to go and pick. Uh, the data that they need and even contribute the data uh, back to that, you know, that organization. When you think about that conceptually, that becomes a data cloud, you know, what kind of a, a data, um, you know, a, a, a store, if you will, to go and find what you need. So with Snowflake, um, as I say, one of the things that they have resolved is separation of storage and compute. And what Matillion does is we generate SQL actually is optimized specifically for Snowflake. It's not just general purpose SQL. We actually work with the uh, Snowflake engineering team. We have a regular uh, you know, catch up with them. And we look for all the kind of key features that they have been adding. There's real innovation that, that is unique to that particular platform. And we try to hide that in terms of creating an abstraction such that ETL developers can simply code the logic and then when it comes to the logic being then converted to run in an optimized way in Snowflake, we're pushing down what we think is 
you know, the most optimized SQL that Snowflake has told us to basically design for. And thereby you get this huge scalability that's delivered by Snowflake, but we're delivering productivity on top of that that really helps those engineers exploit those innovations. So that's the, that's the thing that we do. Um, and this year we basically, uh, you know, very happy to say we, Snowflake gave us the, uh, the award for partner of the year uh, for data integration. And that just really speaks to the relationship we have, but that's built on the back of a, a massive number, literally hundreds of joint customers in the enterprise that work with Snowflake and work with Matillion. Now, Kieran, I, I just have a couple of other things I'd like to um, ask you about here before we wrap up. One of them is what kinds of challenges um, uh, teams will run into uh, with um, ETL and uh, uh, ELT today? Um, and, you know, just some of the things that occur to me might be keeping data updated, you know, the frequency of updates. Another might be this, the size of the data stores. Uh, you already mentioned the sheer number of sources. So what are the things that, um, you know, present challenges to, uh, the, to the data engineers that are doing this work? Yeah, there's a great um, report that I'm sure many people hopefully listening have heard about is this notion of data quality, uh, which is a very real problem. And you'll hear that a data... Um, data scientist or even a data analyst spends about 70 or 80% of their time going and fixing the data that they, uh, that they need. The other 20% of their time, I think this is kind of a joke, they spend complaining about the fact that they spent 80% of their time fixing the data. But it is a real issue. It's a real, real issue that the, the quality of the information people are using for analytics and for data science is so poor. Now, if you think about the average median salary for a data scientist in the US today, it's $165,000. And the average tenure for that individual is 2.6 years. So they spend literally 70% of their time fixing the data. And by the time they've actually produced maybe any value for your organization, they're looking for their next job and they're moving on to another organization. So there is a real day-to-day -day problem for the individual, but at a macro level, there's a massive problem for organizations. This is just not a good um, you know, business um, outcome if you're spending that amount of time and wasting that amount of time on the fixing of your data. And, and that's where we basically start to think about how could you automate this? How could you remove the downtime in your data? How could you remove the brittleness in your overall pipeline? And of course, at Matillion, we really believe that's done through UI-driven uh, shared capabilities. So it's the power of the fact that the, the logic and the design can be shared amongst a team. And that team really gives you a strong visual documentation of what your business is doing. Well, you, what, you, what you're describing here is what we would call best practices, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, speaking to this issue of data quality, and, and I know you know, going back to data warehousing 25 years ago, one of the concepts was what they called single source of the truth, right? And I think that is uh, been, um, uh, you know, uh, something that people are still seeking. Uh, but my, my thought here and question for you is how to make this a continuous process. Um, in other words, uh, you know, the organization needs to have a system, a process in place to just keep doing this all the time. And how does that happen? It's a great question. I think one of the things that we 
hopefully have achieved um, as a result of the last five years investment in big data. So big data has had some pros and cons. But one thing I think it did change, it changed our attitude to sharing data within an organization. We refer to that as the data silo problem. And I think big data forced organizations to make data a board level and executive level conversation. And I think it's no longer the case that execs basically will say, well, you can't have access to that data because of some regulation or something. I think we're past that. We still observe the regulation, but we're past this kind of fiefdom that used to be there with the silos. And that's created, I think, as you say, this notion that if we could fix you know, our data in our organization and contribute that to other groups, we could slowly but surely be on the path to basically resolving this. Um, because we would have to basically adapt the data for use by our own team, but also by other teams. And actually, maybe those other teams would go and say, hey, we've been working with your data and we found some things that we could enhance it, enrich it, and give that back to you. So the culture of data is changing rapidly within companies. And I think the way to basically prove this is for teams to pick a milestone, an objective, a business KPI they're going to improve. And if they can get success from that, I know it sounds kind of trite, but if you get success from that, it creates this funding wheel and flywheel effect for everybody to want to invest more. But I think it started by breaking down the silo and the culture of siloed data and siloed thinking. And I think now we have the right tools and the right capabilities with the likes of Snowflake, the likes of Matillion kind of working together to provide truly an end-to-end -end solution that can just productionize the producing of really high quality data. And from there, high quality insights that drive a business. Karen, I think you used the term there, the culture of data. Um, and I like that term. I think, I think that's an, an interesting one and, and an important one. And, and a good place for us to, to wrap up here. Uh, I think that um, in the cloud database report and, and the work that we do, uh, that is something that, um, that organizations need to strive for. Um, so Karen, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I really yeah, appreciate your time today. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, right. Well, so that's it for this episode of the Cloud Database Report podcast. A special thanks to Kieran Dines with Matillion for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. And you can find it Cloud Database Report and subscribe to our free newsletter on the Cloud Wars website. Thanks, everyone. I look forward to talking to you again on our next podcast.